0: There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well. Or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc.
1: Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm here with my co-host, Spencer, the Wizard, and we just came through an action-packed weekend of NFL football. Along the way, there were very significant injuries, and as a sports medicine doctor, we're going to touch upon them as well. We want to welcome the listeners to a new show. We want to thank Ray Ellis, our director, Jeff Spinard, president of the network. So, Spencer, take it away. There are so many choices to talk about. Uh, Let's launch into one of your favorite games. Yeah, well, this is just awesome. Thanks again for listening to this show. Um, again, I
2: can't reiterate how fun it is talking football with my with my dad, but also being able to to um, put my views out there for the majority of this listening audience. And uh, it's just great. It's a great podium, Voice America. So we're very thankful, myself and my father, again. And we want to thank everybody. Um, fall is a great time of year. The leaves are falling. Um, you know, the weather's christening up, and uh, it's time. <laughs> for some football so first let's take this party out to mile high um i want to talk about the denver eagles game especially for our viewers here in philly um the eagles just look like they laid down in the second half you know once peyton carves them up like a jack-o'-lantern in the second half (laughs) i mean there was no fight really in that dog and they really just they really just laid down so um i want to get to the primetime game of denver and the philadelphia eagles and uh and maybe just um,
1: harp on your points. Well, as a lifelong Eagles fan, um, I must tell you the f- the funniest thing, you know, it, it was so ridiculous in the second half that, you know, when your team is getting blown out, sometimes you just have to laugh. We're about- One of the humorous uh, asides that came out of post-game interviews for Peyton Manning is that he's a modest guy, but he said that there is a uh, – there's a horse. There's a there's a white horse who who every t- has to r- run around the stadium every time <laughs> they score a touchdown. I think the horse's name is like all all silver. He said. Unfortunately, the second half, he said, all silver had to run around so many times he needed IVs in the second half. I thought that was great. Yeah, that that is really
2: hysterical. And like the horse needed oxygen mask more than the players. <laughs> he was running around a lot more than the, the Eagles' defense was in that game, running around the running around a mile high stadium. But um, you know, the Eagles in the first half were down twenty one to thirteen. Shady McCoy and Bryce Brown were catching screen passes the offenses, the offense was moving the ball they were one Brent sella catch away from really being within three points in that game and they had four and five at the 50 yard line and you saw and and you saw or at the uh, at Denver's 40 Um, yard line before the first half was over. And the week prior, you saw Chip Kelly go for a two-point conversion. So you're thinking he's this um, Charlie College coach. He's coming in here. He's totally changing the landscape of the NFL. He's bold and he does things that are not the norm, and he's a risk taker. And in this game versus Denver, you look at Peyton Manning's offense and you look at your depleted defense, you know that you need to score points. You know you need to go out there, and you know you have to have an unbelievable effort. You have to go for it all. And punting the ball away there just didn't achieve anything. In the game, but going for it on fourth down, taking a shot, and really trying to make an effort to make a statement to Denver before the half, and really threaten the outcome of the game, would have been a would have been a move, in my opinion,
1: that he should have done in hindsight. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. Certainly, much of the talk today, which is the day after, uh, centers around that fourth and six, and whether Chip should have uh, gone for it. But the way he said is that the game was close. He didn't want to give Peyton Manning a short field. And if it would have changed where they wouldn't have made it and Peyton would have driven down for another touchdown, it wouldn't have been an eight-point lead. It would have been a 15-point lead going into halftime. As it turns out, it was all academic. In the second half, you know, you don't don't know what's in somebody's head. But Kerry Williams just had a horrible game, and they – they were playing off the line. They weren't playing any press coverage. You know, Wes Welker just destroyed them with, with sled patterns and really exposed the Eagles' defense. And in, in listening, you know, I here at Philly, you know, I listen. Not only do we have a radio show, but we, we listen to a lot of commentators. And basically the bottom line with the Eagles is, with respect to their defense, they have no pass rush and they have no coverage. And the NFL is a passing lead, so if you have no pass rush and you can't cover anybody, you're really vulnerable. And Peyton Manning, um, you know, put, put a hurting on him. You know, 58 points was the uh, the most points scored since a, a game in 1972 that I remember because I was 13 years old when the New York Giants played at Yankee Stadium. I actually was not at the game; I thought I was, but the, the New York Giants beat the Eagles 62 to 10.
2: I think we hit on that Denver game pretty well. I think it's time to bounce around the league because this Sunday was really telling in a lot of aspects. And um, I definitely want to give a shout out first. This was something that I want to get off my chest. I just want to say that I want to give two MVP awards out for this week. One is to Brian Hoyer of the Cleveland Browns. Now, this guy is a West Coast quarterback, grew up in the California area. I assumed just from seeing Brian Hoyer, the most I've seen him is actually with a clipboard on the New England sidelines for Tom Brady, just kind of playing an irrelevant role in the NFL landscape um, under Bill Belichick. And... Brian Hoyer then went to the Cleveland Browns. He was a third stringer even behind Jason Campbell, who's an average quarterback, kind of an average career after succeeding at at Auburn. So you look at him as a third stringer, you look at him as pretty much a non-factor. Brandon Whedon is supposed to be your starting quarterback. It's a make it or break it year. The first two games, he's he really doesn't perform well at all, and that's saying it kindly. The team really falters against Miami. Their offense was pitiful. They trade Trent Richardson, which sends shockwaves around the NFL. So now you're basically making a point to your fans and to the league, basically saying, we want Jadavian Clowney, and we want to get touchdown Teddy or Johnny Manziel in here next year we are mailing it in this season and we are going to the draft but you know what Cleveland does they go to Minnesota with Brian Hoyer and they play their butts off and they end up competing with Adrian Peterson and the Vikings and Hoyer leads them down to an emotional touchdown catch by um Jordan Cameron who is one of the young studs in this league. So they squeak out a win in Minnesota. Then they have the Bengals coming in the hottest team in the league. You just had them squash Green Bay defensively just shut down Aaron Rodgers and you know what? Cleveland's defense Joe Hayden puts a you know really puts a uh, a cover or a blanket on AJ Green and the Browns go out there at home. Guess what? They're in first place in the AFC North. After trading Trent Richardson, you have a third-string quarterback. You bring in Willis McGahee, who is in his late 30s. And look at these Cleveland Browns. Rob Chizinski just look at them right now with Mike Lombardi and is Brian Hoyer really a franchise quarterback and now you have such an intriguing matchup with the Buffalo Bills coming in so if that's just really what intrigues me in sports is a team like Cleveland who's been down and that doesn't get a lot of media attention and everyone thought they're mailing it in but if they can make a run at this they're, they're an underdog team and just I love the underdog spirit and Brian Hoyer the journeyman there's every reason to love this guy just again just taking the reins over he's a cleveland born kid and it's really just incredible what the browns are doing
1: well you mentioned that there was a second mvp of the of the week it's time to reveal the answer
2: (laughs) i was actually gonna say two browns players but my second mvp of the week has to go to tom brady I mean, he went into Atlanta... When when you look at Atlanta, they lost to Miami, so they're one and two, which makes them even more hungry. And when a team's hungry for a win, it's Sunday night football. The Georgia Dome is rocking, and Tom Brady takes his bunch of um, gritty NFL receivers, pretty mediocre guys, um, and he makes them into superstars. and They and they got out a win. They really dominate the first half and the second half of football. And for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, it just shows you if you have a quarterback and if you have a Coach, you you can really go far in this league.
1: Well, certainly Tom Brady has uh, impressed us. When we saw him here in Philadelphia, we saw him scrimmaging against the Eagles. And uh, his arm and and, and his leadership is certainly unquestioned. And really watching a lot of Brady and a lot of Peyton Manning, uh, two of the, the best ever. I think we need to ask you a very simple question, or actually make it two. One is, what's wrong with the New York Giants? And we'd like you to give us a prediction of next week's game, which we used to call, you know, gridiron, and now we call the toilet ball, which is the Philadelphia Eagles going into uh, the, the Meadowlands, otherwise known as MetLife Stadium. So what's wrong with the Giants, and what's your prediction? You look at the New York Giants and Tom
2: Coughlin did an effective job of getting this team prepared. The effort on the defensive line, stopping the run. You saw Jamal Charles. He didn't have a lot of success on the ground. So the effort, especially defensively, was there. You saw Spencer pacinger He had a terrific game. Mark Herzlick definitely made some plays covering Charles. The Chiefs are a very, very good football team. Surprisingly, a very deceiving record. Last year, they got their stuff together on offense with Alex Smith, so that was a tall order to go into Arrowhead. The problem is two things. One, they cannot run the football. They are the worst rushing team I have seen in years, and not just the Giants in the whole NFL. David Wilson has no holes. He's never made it to the second layer at all this season. They have like 30 yards rushing average per game, and you can't win in this league. I mean, even Tom Brady, even the best quarterbacks need a rushing game. But Eli Manning thrives off of a balanced system. He's not a guy that really can create his own offense, maybe like a... um like a Kaepernick or or, a, or a Robert Griffin when healthy. He really relies strongly on a running game, and that's what creates the play-action pass. The second thing is the offensive line had three new guys, and they could not block up front. So Manning did not have time to look down the field, and, and basically Kansas City was saying, we're going to rush four guys, and we're going to drop everybody else in the coverage, and double-team Victor Cruz and put our best corner on Hakeem Nix, and you're not going to have anybody to throw the ball to and your tight end Brandon Myers who's not a great receiver you basically have no options on offense because you can't run the football and you can't block when they're not blitzing you when they're rushing four guys so it's unfair in coverage for the Giants because you cannot block those four um we're up against the break I definitely want to get more into the Giants and the Eagles but we also got a lot of other storylines it's NFL it's rapid pace we're having fun it's Bruce the Sports Network
0: Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com your internet flagship station for sports voice America sports you are listening to Bruce the sports doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger if you have a question or comment about today's program please call in at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to bruce at brucethesportstalk.com now Back to the show.
1: Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm here with your host, Spencer the Wizard Grossinger. And we just got deep into the NFL. We touched upon, obviously most of our listeners are here in the Northeast, in New York and Philly. And we do spend a lot of time talking about Giants and Eagles. And this year, unfortunately, it's about their woes and about their futility Um and between the two teams, there's only one win. Let's uh, let's flip over the use of Texans. There's one guy who, um, you know, there's not a lot of talk about him. We've always thought he was underrated. Matt Schaub, a local product here in Philadelphia. And we, we look at the way the Texans' season is playing out so far, and we want to hear your analysis of the Texans vis-a-vis Matt Schaub and going forward. You look at the Texans and um – for their first four games,
2: you had the first game at San Diego, they should have lost. Tennessee, they should have lost. Matt Schaub made very impressive fourth-quarter comebacks in that game. And then Baltimore, they, they deservingly got smacked. And then – uh This game, they were really in control. So I got to say with the Houston Texans that the first half was very impressive. Wade Phillips has a really strong defense. They were getting after Russell Wilson and they completely made Seattle um, just look like a mediocre offense, which they're not. They have a a prolific rushing attack with Marshawn Lynch. So you got to give Houston a lot of props. They can definitely play. They are definitely have playoff talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And the recipe is to run the football. But when it comes down to it when the team's put eight in the box and it comes down to a pivotal third down. I I just don't see Matt Schaub ever taking this team to an elite status. Now, Houston fans, um, even though it's a a fairly new uh, franchise and they opened up the franchise in 2002, these Texans really have one of the most talented teams in the league, and yet they haven't even reached an AFC title game with having the best running back in the league, top two, top three defensive coordinator, and they also happen to have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. So, and Andre Johnson. So Matt Schaub, when it comes down to it, I just don't think he can win a Super Bowl. One, because I don't think his arm strength is uh, is top in the league. I mean, just, just with the eye test, Matt Schaub can throw a nice touch ball, but the fact is, is that he just... When it comes down the fur down, when it comes down the will-to-win situations... There are probably 15 other guys I'd rather have than Matt Schaub. That including Ben Roethlisberger, even Jay Cutler steps out of the page for me. And for a team like Houston, Matt Schaub is not a horrific quarterback at all. He's a decent quarterback. But for them to really make a run at the Super Bowl, the most important position in sports, you have to have a gamer. You have to have a guy that could stand in the pocket and, and really execute on third down and really show that will to win as well as show showing off that arm strength. So if Houston had a pick in this draft and they just drafted a young quarterback, I think it's a nice move because you saw you see Schaub and you see his ceiling, which is to be a decent NFL quarterback. That is his ceiling. He's a game manager and the fact is is that he's not a bad game manager at all but you look at Houston and with a prolific young quarterback like let's just say if you had Russell Wilson on the Texans that it adds a different dynamic to the team effort arm strength and not being a game manager so um Houston's in a pickle because it's a risk to get rid of your quarterback and they have and they have a team that can consistently make it into the playoffs but for Houston and Texans fans, I would personally want to have a quarter, to go for it all, to have a quarterback that can maybe bring you a Super Bowl and to risk maybe trying to bring in a new guy. Because and, and, Matt Schaub, you've seen a ceiling. So what are your opinions on Matt Schaub? Do you think the Texans can win a Super Bowl with him as their starting
1: quarterback? The quick answer is no. And I would say the primary reason is there are so many other up-and-coming quarterbacks that have greater potential, and I see him as a game manager, and ultimately, his team I don't even think is as good as the Chiefs. You know, I look at Alex Smith and Shaw, but I see very similar guys. I see very steady guys, not flashy, but you look at the Chiefs with their defense, it's just been so awesome. and. The game plan, and uh, I just don't see that with the Texans. So I think I think it's a good team. It's a middle of the pack team, but is 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 he going to transcend it? Do I see a beating um, Peyton Manning, Brady and that? Abs- absolutely not. I I can't really see a scenario where the Texans would would win the Super Bowl in the next three to five years.
2: You know, he really proved it, and in and, and Foxborough, that proves my point because they were stopping Arian Foster. And it was coming really a one-dimensional offense, and the ball was in Matt shop's hands, and he couldn't make the plays he needed. He was really outclassed by by Brady, and um of course, it's a very tough task and tall order to beat Tom Brady. I'm not saying he is really a terrible quarterback at all. I think he's actually a very decent quarterback. A lot of teams can use his services. But in terms of Houston going for a Super Bowl and having the talent that they have, I think that taking the risk at the most important position on the field is is, a, is definitely a necessary option for them to achieve greatness. Um, so we're definitely bouncing around the NFL right now. Um you just saw the New Orleans Saints. You see the Seattle Seahawks. Which, which quickly, which teams in the NFC do do you really fear as Super
1: Bowl contenders? Um, you can really take this question however you want. Well, um, I've always liked the Saints. I've always thought they were a good team. Last year, it shows you what the effect that the coach like Sean Payton has on the team. And last year was just a terrible off year. This year, just back to Saints football, really dominant at home. Breeze, very consistent, excellent quarterback. Uh, you you look at Seattle and at home, they're just complete beasts. They are, the defense is the most impressive defense I've seen. And certainly, um, what did we talk about the Eagles? They fall short, no pass rush, and poor coverage. You look at the Seattle Seahawks. You see amazing shutdown coverage, and you see awesome pursuit of the quarterback. So, I I, I believe that um, San Francisco obviously had a nice rebound win this week, but I I see them taking—they've taken a step back—and I see the Seahawks as really believing in themselves. In the Saints, always a great home team. I'm just not so sure about the Saints playing away. You know, a lot if you're looking ahead a lot will have to do with who's playing at home. If Seattle was playing uh New Orleans in the NFC Championship, I believe that whoever played at home would, de- would clearly win the game. Absolutely. Those home field advantages are the
2: top to, are the top in the league, you know, the the um Superdome um and really um the the stadium in Seattle. Um I think it's a Vesco Field that they have up there in the greater Northwest. Um so quickly we can um I, I definitely want to get into my um Philadelphia Eagles and New York Giants predictions for next week do you definitely do you want to take the show there right now cuz or do you want to definitely go into um to a Jake Locker and 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 really
1: um talk about his injury that happened last week well i know a lot of people listening to the show really like the injury report But I'd rather than chop it up and and go into Jake Locker and go into some of the injuries, go into the update of Rob Gronkowski, I want to do that a bit later in the show. But I'd like to go right to MetLife Stadium and we make some predictions. I I believe that the Eagles will win this game. And I'm I'm predicting, uh, uh, my prediction will be 30-24, a lot of scoring, I just don't. I see the Giants' defense as being essentially weak, no pass rush, and I think that the Eagles are due to rebound after the shellacking they they, they took against the Broncos. I I think that that, that Eli Manning will certainly score at least twenty four points in this game, and both teams are bad. and It's it's kind of hard when you have two bad teams. It's really hard to to predict the game, but I just got a sense that the Eagles' offense is—basically, it's going to be offense versus offense. Both the defenses are very weak. I I just got a feeling that the Eagles are going to just be in high gear and score more points.
2: The Eagles' defense really has a chance this week to really— disrupt the Giants offense even though the Eagles off a uh, defense has not looked very impressive in the last three weeks it's been one of the worst defenses in the NFL probably the worst week one against Washington they put pressure on Robert Griffin and if they blitz and have a strategic game plan for getting to Eli they definitely can get to him one because he's not mobile but his offensive line is just is just absolutely a disgrace right now for the New York Giants the closer the Giants keep this game the better it is for the Giants, for them. If their if their team can ellipse twenty one points, if they can put points on the board, I really see the Giants having a better chance in this game. I'm very excited because both teams are really playing in desperation mode, and they are getting they're going to get hammered by both sides of the media, especially in New York for starting zero and four in the Super Bowls in their house this year. And even though you have a leash with Tom Coughlin winning two Super Bowls. You still have to really have put that in your mind. If this team goes 0-8, I mean, firing, that word definitely will come into the equation because the Giants have been off and on with making the playoffs. And, of course, we have the, the Giants have had those two magical rides. It's a very tough game to predict. Um, you know, my gut is telling me the Eagles. But with the Giants at home this week, And the defense really stopping the run well. I look at the Giants really bounce back. So I'm going to say 28-21 Giants in a game because I think that they could stop LaShawn McCoy. I could obviously be wrong on my prediction. um, But I think Tom Coughlin really gets the Giants going. He really motivates his team. They're playing with their back against the wall. I definitely think the Eagles will handle them at the link. It's, just, it's, it's a very tough game to predict. I definitely would not bet on this game because I can defi- I can see it going the other way as well. It's a tough one to pick. It's, it's, it's a total
1: toss-up game. I
2: think you and I can both agree with that.
1: Well, I think it's time without any further ado to get into the Jake Locker situation. Number one, he played spectacular in the game. But number two, he really was a scary injury. We're right up against the break. We'll be back in three minutes for another segment of Bruce the Sports Talk.
0: Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. At flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportstalk.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grosiger, and we're really pleased to be able to deliver the show this week, a brand new show. We want to begin this segment by debating whether or not college athletes should be paid, compensated over and above their scholarships, and that certainly brings us to the, the changing wave where you have the Ed O'Bannon case where Ed actually had an out-of-court settlement and, and got money, and uh, therefore he, he was paid for his likeness. And the question is, should college athletes be paid for their likeness for signing autographs and for doing promotional stuff, and should it be allowable in big-time Division I football for there to be compensation for the athletes, typically would be football and basketball. So, again, we talk about the debate. We're going to share both sides. We're not going to sit here and pick a side and argue with each other. But Spencer, let's let's uh, hear your views, uh, pro and con, right now about paying athletes. Um, what what are your thoughts?
2: This is an exciting topic, and I think it's a pretty relevant topic right now in the world of sports to talk about um, th- this issue about paying college athletes. You know, right now, um, there are a couple a couple instances where paying the college athlete really does make sense. But the con of paying a college athlete is that it's very. It's very difficult to police a system of paying college athletes. I mean, if you're going to pay college athletes, there are so many gray areas and it creates so much diversion. I mean, you look at the field goal kicker from Alabama compared to the field goal kicker from Georgia, you know, whatever, Georgia State. Uh, It just for all those college athletes to get paid and how much they're getting paid per year I just don't know like like what I'm still very confused by that whole notion. Like, how much would you pay kids? What would you base on paying the kids? How high they're recruited on the ESPN Top 150 list? Would Andrew Wiggins be getting paid more than, like, a Doug McDermott of Creighton? Would you get paid by your production? I mean, making those laws up, I I assume that they would make a ton of time, that that would take a ton of time, and to pay the vast majority of college athletes, one, the money... Is, is not you, the money is not invincible to these colleges. Um, you know what I'm saying Dad, is that there's a there's a ton of money that that, that you have to pay to, to a wide majority of these athletes. There are so many athletes out of 150 I think there are Division one schools. So to police that system, I mean, I want to go into how you'd police that system in a little while, but it's just extremely difficult. Like, how much are you paying a point guard in basketball? How much are you paying the center? How much are you You know, how about a backup player on Kentucky? How much are you paying these kids? Are you paying them by their production? This is all up for interpretation, and this is very gray, and it just seems like a very confusing system. And the way you have it right now, with college athletes going out and morally playing for their schools, getting a free education, getting a full ride over other students, you know, that is just—it's very easy to police that system. That's the way it's always been. And doing it for the pride of your university, and then having the option to go on to the pros. But there are two cases where you can argue that paying college athletes would be beneficial, and that is with Johnny Football. He's made more money for Texas A and M than they've made in the past twenty years for football, and it's just off of the Johnny Football brand. And say Johnny Football gets injured at playing football, which is really not that that, that um, hard to, to really put into your mind. The fact that he could get hurt playing this violent game of football he would lose out on millions of dollars that he could have earned in his branding of college and then you look at Nerland's Noel playing at Kentucky, the NBA does not let players come in you have to do one year of college basketball and he tears his ACL and he loses out on six spots in the, in the NBA draft and there's a lot of examples of guys hurting themselves senior year, Matt Barkley in particular also well, he just lost a lot of money that he would have made at USC so what what are your comments, really, Bruce, to the Johnny Manziel situation about him earning money for the Johnny Football brand? Because a part of you definitely has to feel sympathy for Johnny Manziel, and and I don't. People always say he comes from a wealthy background, but no one's immune to money, and that really shouldn't be the case here. Looking at his specific family in this
1: matter, but you, you know, well, one thing that would be. I think, as far as actually coming up with like a salary cap or coming up and budgeting to pay players depending on their skills, I think that would just be not something you could implement. It would just be too complicated. And you, you know, you have a hundred players. Like Chip Kelly said, what was it like, you know, cutting your your players, and how was that? How did that p- compare to college? Said I never cut a player in college, so he could carry a hundred players. The guys might not ever sniff a field, but my feeling is that uh, if you are allowing players to brand themselves, to actually sign autographs or to take money, it would it would basically be something where the the school itself wouldn't be paying for that, and also it also sort itself out. Volleyball players, you know, baseball, college baseball players, they really have no value, you know. Unfortunately, think of all the sports; so many sports that are invisible. And you look at big-time college football and basketball; that's where all the money is made. So, in some ways, the players themselves would out the market. We're the capitalistic society, where people that can make a lot of money do make a lot of money, and the society basically keeps their other than taxes. They kind of keep their hands off. And they let people that are more um, that are able to earn a lot of money make more money. And people that just are not as capable. And in the marketing world, people that don't have an interesting personality um, may not uh, have the ability to, uh, to garnish that money. So I, I think that there is certainly part of me that is old school and believes that college is so expensive to give a kid you know, meal stipends and, and a scholarship of the opportunity, and, and particularly in um, in football where you could play two years and jump to the pros. I'm not worried about Johnny Manziel. You know, when, if he goes to NFL, he's going to have tremendous opportunities. He still has a lot of charisma, much like Doug Flutie had a ton of opportunities. They're both little guys, but yet, um, you know, extremely charismatic, and I could envision... You know, if Johnny Manziel at least doesn't commit any crimes or do anything really stupid other than, than freshman-type of stuff, I think that will have a great, a great upside. You bring up a great point that I definitely
2: want to reiterate is that in all the other sports, except for basketball and football, they allow an athlete to go professional. You look at a baseball player that's tremendous in high school. Josh Hamilton bypassed college. He went right to the professionals, a soccer player, a golfer, a volleyball player, whatever. That their sport allows them to go right into professional, right into making money when they're a legal adult, which is 18 years old. So there's a solution to this problem, Bruce, and that is to for the NFL and the NBA to let players come into be a professional after high school. I think then, if the player decides to go to college and take that risk, if they don't feel that they're ready to participate in professional sports, then That is on the player. Do you understand what I'm saying is that um, if they choose to put injury at risk by going in there, it it really – I think that if the NBA and NFL would do that, I think that you're really hurting players like Nerlens Noel and Johnny Manziel because they have the ability to be making money and playing in the NFL right now, but they can't because of the system that the professionals are holding. And then about making money, then if Johnny Manziel is arguing, well, college isn't paying for, for play, you could just say to him, hey, you could have gone to the NFL. That was your decision. I know that that would affect the the problem with that is that it would affect the um, the skill that is in the college game, but you know I I I think that that would be a really quick solution paying college athletes it would just be very difficult in all sports so that would be something that's the toughest but branding yourself even though it's taking money away from the university that doesn't really seem too detrimental, do, does it? I, I want you to talk about how detrimental branding yourself will be because doesn't that just seem like it's just impact it, – doesn't that just seem like it's, it, it would benefit the individual and would not hurt many other
1: sides? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think if there's a compromise to be reached, it would be allowing the individuals to, to brand themselves. There may or may not be a ceiling with how much money you could garnish. It's really um, – Implementation, I guess there's two real issues. Implementation, once they decide that there should be compensation, implementation would then be a second step. One strong argument against paying players is the difficulty of implementation. But there's a philosophic idea that the players sacrifice their bodies, make millions for their colleges. All the administrators who benefit really make money on the backs of the athletes. And the athletes, you know, some of them are extremely poor. And, you know, the the idea of, like, for instance, uh, Deion Sanders uh, bought, took an athlete, out, I think it was um, number eight of the, 88 of the Cowboys, Dez Bryant. Bryant. He really um, he was embarrassed and fined because he literally ate one lunch. It was paid for by Deion Sanders. So I think that's really the extreme. And... um You know, I I think they should liberalize the stipends for these major college teams. But as far as actually paying them salaries, I, I just don't see it going in that direction. Yeah, they're way too strict on um on on really about benefits that these college athletes
2: are getting. The whole booster program um would be taken out of if these college athletes are allowed to brand themselves, and that's what I think that you're saying. What are your opinions about the NFL and NBA allowing guys to come in when they're 18? Because wouldn't that take out a lot of conflict in this situation?
1: Well, in football, it's not like basketball. People come out of high school, they're physically... Not ready to play in the NFL. They just aren't. They're they're boys. Even the best players, even a quarterback, a Johnny Manziel coming right out of high school. Um, you know, physically, isn't ready. There's so much physical development that occurs between age 18 and age 21 that it would really put a lot of the players at risk. Even a guy like Clowney, who for the colleges, you know, is 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 a very impactful player, very fast. You look at the NFL, there's a lot of players like him. And I expect him to get better and better. He might be one of the best. Um, you look at a guy just retired, Brian Urlacher. He just got better and better, stronger, just a complete beast. And Clowney, you know, even he's such a young guy, And by necessity, I believe the NFL is, is not ready to take people out of high school and, and to have the play. Number one, the people get hurt. They jeopardize their, their careers and they 're just not physically ready it 's not like basketball you could come in with a lot of finesse and run up and down and score This is a physical game and and and, and as far as the differences between 18 year old and 20, 21 22 year old vast differences and that 's why i don't see uh, i don 't see football as a sport that 's amenable to, uh, to to bypass at college i i don 't think that 's realistic running up against the break here we we got to run for this
2: segment but we're, we're going to come back we got bruce the sports dot coming up next.
0: your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at BruceThesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit BruceThesportsdoc.com.
1: There's a five all deep right field. Back goes O'Neal. He's a shot. got it With 2.8 seconds He's left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here.
0: From high school to the pros, we, we, cover, everything. we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportstalk.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome to the final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and this segment's going to deal with sports medicine, particularly the NFL. Let's flash to Tampa Bay. Josh Freeman was found to be taking Adderall. However, this is not really a story. Adderall is one of the drugs to treat ADHD, attention deficit disorder, and it's a neurostimulant. It's not being used recreationally. It's not on the banned substance list. And Josh Friedman has never tested positive for any anabolic steroids, performance-enhancing drugs, or any recreational drugs. So, essentially, it's still a football story here in that Josh has been benched. It doesn't look like his future's in Tampa Bay. And he wants to be traded to a team that would consider starting him. And essentially... Because he's not one step away from being suspended, teams are not entitled to um, his whole medical history. And essentially, as a neurologist who prescribes Adderall, it's interesting how this works. Adderall is normally a stimulant, but with patients who have trouble concentrating, it really helps to focus them, and it tends not to create euphoria and recreational highs and things it tends to do its job and therefore because he received a legitimate prescription from a doctor josh friedman is not facing any penalty and that's a story broke today by chris mortensen of espn let's flash over to tennessee jake locker had what looked like a gruesome injury against the Jets. He took two hits and suffered injury to his right knee and right hip. The, the the hip injury still is really non-disclosed. We know what it's not. It apparently is not a tear of the labrum, which is a tear of the hip. That would probably be a season-ending injury. It's not a fracture, that is, broken bone in the hip. Most likely it was a partial um, dislocation of the hip or potentially an injury to the muscles surrounding the hip, which is called the trochanteric bursa, sometimes called a hip pointer. The projected return to work for Jake Locker is four to eight weeks. Another season-ending injury in the NFL to a very likable player. The big man himself, Vince Wilfork, of the New England Patriots, you saw him limping off the field. He actually has torn his Achilles, and we've talked before on the show about Achilles injuries. They often require surgery in this case, almost definitely, and require at least a year of surgery, casting, and rehabilitation. So this is going to be a big blow to the to the uh, Patriots their big nose tackle, who really was having a good year. And unfortunately, he's out for the year. Speaking of the Patriots, there's still conflicting reports out of Boston with respect to Rob Gronkowski. The reports inside the team are that Gronkowski's practicing and and he's ready to go back and play. However, Gronkowski's inner circle apparently have advised him not to play. And they haven't really, this hasn't really splashed as a public issue, but there apparently is a conflict between the New England Patriots and Gronkowski's handlers, his family and his advisors. And so far, it's a log jam. And Gronkowski hasn't hit the field yet, but apparently he's getting closer after all those forearm surgeries, fractures, and of course the surgery of the offseason for his herniated disc. So it looks like the Gronk will likely be turning will be returning in a few weeks, but we can't say for sure. This is truly a week by week decision and there's a complexity of the team and uh, obviously the politics about going against a group of advisors with a very popular player. In non-injury-related stories, Shady McCoy had an interesting experience at Mile High Stadium. He stated he could literally not catch his breath and required oxygen between offensive series. At halftime, he received intravenous fluids. It stated that he was much more comfortable in the second half. I've scoured the interviews from the Eagles being here in Philadelphia. I haven't noted any player... Who also who who complained of of not being able to catch their breath, being short of breath, and one of the factors is obviously Shaney McCoy is going out is going all out sprinting, uh, burning a lot of calories, and uh, potentially was uh, in part dehydrated in the uh, first half, and after hydration uh, seemed to uh, be able to you know play and, and finish the game. In good injury news, sounds like an oxymoron, reports out of Chicago are that Derrick Rose is tearing it up. He did great in the summer league. He worked out with one Kevin Durant, himself a superstar. And Kevin said Derrick has all the moves. And he's anticipated to make a full recovery from his ACL repair. Some controversy in Chicago when a large portion of the fan base uh, was disappointed that Derek didn't return for the playoffs. Even though he was able to practice, he felt like he just wasn't ready to go the extra gear to play in the playoffs. And I, I think Derek Rose has to win some fans back in order to be the uh, the hero and centerpiece of the Chicago Bulls going forward. But from all accounts... He's made a full recovery, he's done a lot of strengthening, a lot of stretching, a lot of cardio, and he's ready to assume the mantle of leader on the Chicago Bulls. Well, this is a short last segment. Spent a lot of time digging into the games of the week, doing the analysis, and particularly highlighting the debate of whether or not college athletes should be paid really appreciate your listeners. We certainly get feedback on our Facebook page. And uh, we encourage you to download podcasts of Bruce, Bruce the Sports Doc. They're available. You can get them on iTunes or directly from voiceamerica.com. Click on sports. Click on Bruce the Sports Doc. Again, we want to thank everybody for listening. It was our pleasure to do the show today. And on behalf of my co-host, of the Wizard, have a great week. We'll see you next week for the next edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on
0: Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.